Hello and welcome back to the second Envoy podcast. Today we're looking at China, Vietnam, Syria, and Libya, as well as a look at big, big changes in Saudi Arabia. Hello and welcome back to the second Envoy podcast. I'm your host Nathan Shaw, and we've changed up a few things here, as you might be able to tell from the intro sound.、Uh, we're hot on the heels of the first one, and we're trying to keep things rolling here. We'll be trying to put out content every Friday or Saturday. We're also investigating putting the podcast on Apple and、uh, Android and Google Play to try and get it to, to you as easily as possible. First up in this week's roundup, China. The Chinese Communist Party Central Committee has set out a series of amendments to the Chinese Constitution, including a removal of term limits for president and vice president of the country. Originally designed to prevent a Mao-style personality cult, the removal of the two-term limit has paved the way for Xi Jinping to lead China indefinitely. This follows Xi Jinping's centralization of power within China, and while it's not a declaration of dictator perpetuo, commonly known as dictator for life, it certainly opens up the possibility that Xi will be in office for a good while to come. Out to Vietnam, and it's related to China. The first aircraft carrier since 1975 has docked in the country. This follows a weapons sales embargo in Hanoi that was lifted in 2016 by the U.S. Now these are two countries that fought a very, very vicious war where millions of Vietnamese people died, and the USA-led opposition forces suffered significant casualties. One would not expect these two countries to be getting along, but necessity drives global politics. Vietnam is worried about China's increasing power and actions in the South China Sea, and the U.S. is more than happy to help out building a balancing coalition with its neighbors to check China's advances. Now onto Syria. The United Nations has been working to create a ceasefire resolution to prevent some of the violence that's been occurring in the country. The ceasefire resolution was adopted unanimously by the Security Council. However, bombing continues as a loophole that states attacks against opposition forces identified as terrorists are still allowed. This means the Syrian government, backed by Russia and Iran, can attack forces as long as they claim they are terrorists. There, the United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres states that. The Security Council resolutions are only meaningful if they are effective. This reveals how hard it is for actors like the UN to achieve positive outcomes when major powers or core interests are involved. Finally, we're going to look at North Africa, and more specifically, Libya. Now, many of you will remember that President Muammar Gaddafi was removed from power after Arab Spring protests turned into a civil war. Now the UN and members of the EU have been promoting the idea of presidential and legislative elections in 2018. However, the country's split between the GNA, the Government of National Accord, in the west, and the Libyan National Army, the LNA, in the east. Now the problem is modern Libya is really a product of Italian colonialism, and has historically been a location that has been hard to maintain native political control. It is a country with a long strip of land spread across the Mediterranean, so anyone with a decent navy can land and conquer territory or cut the country in two. It's therefore very difficult to unify the country. Add to that fact the local tribal conflicts and entrenched positions of both sides, it's unlikely that the election will achieve its objectives and unify the country, as fundamentally both sides will be unwilling to give up their power. That's a roundup for this week, and we're going to move on to Saudi Arabia. Now, in Saudi Arabia, there have been a few big changes recently, and they relate to areas of human rights, politics, economics, and security. And so, what I'm going to try to do here is take you through from one of those human rights all the way through to security, and show how they're linked in various ways. 
Now, in 2015, King Salman rose to power, but more importantly, his son Muhammad, a crown prince, has really been the main actor in the country. While King Salman isn't a figurehead, he's certainly far less powerful than his son in terms of reigns of power. Now, since then, the crown prince has moved to tighten his grip on power. He wants to open up and modernize the country as well as reduce corruption and give options to women. Now, this is where we start with the human rights. A royal decree has stated that women will be allowed to drive in July this year, as well as that men and women will be able to sit together at sporting events. We've also seen a reopening of cinemas and opera houses after a 35-year ban. A top cleric said that the depravity of these films would corrupt the country's morals. Now, Saudi Arabia has a very young population, almost 70% under the age of 30. So this can be seen as the crown prince trying to shore up support among the younger generation. His Vision 2030 plan is to diversify the oil-dependent economy, start bringing women into the labor force more effectively. However, this vision is highly dependent on the crown prince pushing it forward, and if he lost power, it would very likely falter in the delivery. Now, to deal with this problem, the crown prince has effectively been rounding up people who are senior princes or businessmen under the pretext of corruption. Now, there's little doubt that these people have probably been engaging in corruption, but what you and I would consider corruption is often an everyday practice in the country, and there are many others who have not been arrested. Now, he's been trying to enforce these laws quite selectively for his own purposes. The detained are often former heads of the National Guard or finance ministers, deputy defense ministers, and a Navy commander. Now, the reason he's doing this is because the three branches of the security forces are designed to basically counterbalance against each other. The military, the National Guard, and the intelligence services are set against each other to balance each other and prevent anyone with the guns basically rising up and taking power. Now, Salman's consolidated control over all three branches. Part of this corruption crusade has been a recovery of over $100 billion through financial settlements. This is effectively those people who were detained paying a fee or a ransom to be set out free back into the population. Now, this is a popular benefit because the country has recently suffered some economic woes. Now, this is important because Saudi Arabia has long been reliant upon its oil incomes. It has meant that the country has been basically tax-free and heavily subsidized, taking the American cry of no taxation without representation. At heart, they have until recently zero taxes and effectively zero representation because it's an autocratic regime. However, on January 1st, 2019, they introduced a 5% value-added tax. We would know that as the GST. They've also, in recent years, engaged in wage freezes and also prolonged and deferred uh, major projects. Now, the reason they've been doing this is because in recent times, there's been a glut of oil in the global market. This has been in response to several measures. One of the major ones is the fracking uh, or shale oil revolution in America, where suddenly a country that had previously imported a lot of its oil is now producing enough to basically sustain itself and in the future will be an oil exporter. Now, in response to this, Saudi Arabia actually increased production, plunging prices even further. Their attempt was to try and destroy that infant industry, but instead the Americans just became more efficient. This has left Saudi Arabia with a bit of a troubling conundrum. As the Americans increase their oil supply, one, they're making it more difficult for the Saudis to sell their own oil, 
And two, America is no longer reliant on Saudi Arabia for oil. This is a big deal for Saudi Arabia because historically it's relied on the US military for its defense. When Kuwait was invaded by Saddam in the first Gulf War, the Saudis called in the American military to remove the problem. The US provided the vast majority of forces while Kuwait and Saudi Arabia, as well as other Gulf states, paid 32 of the $60 billion cost for the first Gulf War. As an aside, this was an important moment in our modern history because it involved Osama bin Laden, who, when Saudi Arabia was threatened by this sudden invasion, offered to defend the country with his own forces, relying on his history in defeating the Soviets in Afghanistan. He was, however, rebuffed and lost out to an American offer of assistance. This led to a deep resentment over the fact that non-Muslims were defending Mecca and Medina, vitally important locations in the Islamic religion. So this means as America becomes less dependent on Saudi oil, the Saudis have far less leverage over the Americans through provide assistance when they require it. Now this means that Saudi Arabia has to defend itself in the future, and it's been buying up a large amount of arms from around the world, in the UK, the US, among other places. Saudi Arabia is trying to use this military in Yemen, kind of giving it a test tryout. Saudi has been leading a coalition of Gulf states supported by the UK and the US in terms of logistics and support to attempt to reinstate the previous President Hardy. During the Arab Spring, President Hardy was removed from office and a new President Saleh was put in his place. Now, President Saleh was originally backed by the Houthis, but he was later killed when he attempted to make peace with the Saudi-led coalition to end its bombing and blockade campaign. As an aside, the Houthis were fighting Al-Qaeda prior to this uprising. In the Saudi campaign against the Houthi rebels, they have been engaging in an aerial bombardment and blockade campaign. The US and UK have been providing intelligence and selling bombs to resupply the Saudi Air Force. And the US has also been providing ships to assist the Saudi-led coalition's embargo of the country. Saudi Arabia is concerned that military supplies will be smuggled in with humanitarian and commercial shipping. They have also accused Iran of trying to smuggle weapons into the country. According to UN estimates, the blockades have left almost 80% of the country's population in need of food, water, and medical aid. And an outbreak of cholera is the worst in modern history with over 1 million suspected cases of people infected. It's not all one way though. The Houthis' siege of Taiz, a city in Yemen, has also made delivery of humanitarian assistance to the city far more difficult. Now, the Saudi coalition has failed to take over the country in its totality, and they've run into a bit of a stalemate. Despite the huge military spending, the military lacks the esprit de corps to complete its mission. Esprit de corps is an idea of uh, loyalty or belief in oneself that is vital in a military to conduct operations and succeed. As one Australian SAS soldier put it, the Saudi military doesn't operate very well outside of air conditioning. And they have the added problem that because status matters so much in the country, you might end up with a situation where a lieutenant or a captain has to look down to a private or a corporal for a go-ahead or in with deference because they are higher in the social strata. This makes leading a military quite difficult as most militaries rely on a hierarchy, generally of competence rather than of status. So you can see as the country is trying to modernize itself and prepare for a transition away from the old system to the new so that it can survive. Now to link the security angle back to human rights, Saudi women are now being allowed to serve in the armed forces. And while they won't be in uh, frontline combat roles, they will be allowed to support. This is a huge step forward for the country. Now, so bring this all the way back to the start of this segment, 
We were talking about human rights leading to politics, leading into economics, and then finally security. This is all part of that Crown Prince's plan to modernize the country uh, through economics, as well as secure his own control over the military, where he has recently fired basically the top chiefs of the country's military, so that he can solidify his control, which will allow him to push his economic reforms and eventually his security reforms and modernizing the military so that he'll be able to defend the country if the Americans don't come to save them. This brings us to the end of the second podcast. I hope this segment into Saudi Arabia has given you a better understanding of the evolving situation in the country. We'll be back next week at the same time with more analysis of international relations.